This podcast was prepared by Ashley and Martell in their personal capacity. The opinions expressed in this show are the host's own and do not reflect the views of any of their personal affiliations. (laughs) It's episode 26 and we are back with another interview with another candidate who is running in the upcoming 2021 primaries. It's your girl, Ashley. Yo, and it's your guy, Martel, also known as Pierre Defecto. Welcome to Black Political Millennials. Yes, we have been busting through these interviews. I'm super excited to keep adding folks on. And today we are super excited to have with us Grace Higginbottom. She is a candidate for Pittsburgh Public School Board's District 1. Welcome to the show, Grace. Thank you for having me. Good evening. Good, good evening. I tell you, I think before all the episodes that we've had so far, um, sorry, y'all, we have good conversations before we actually start recording so we can get the stuff out that we don't want to talk about <laughs> on the episode. <laughs> But I'm super excited about all things school board. Um, I have a personal, you know, um, bias when it comes to school board, because I think that school board is one of the most important um, public offices that you can hold because you have the responsibility of the futures of so many young people at your hands, literally. So, um, Grace, you could just tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? What 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 you got for us? Well, uh, my name is Grace Higginbotham. I am a Pittsburgh native. Um, I was born and raised in Garfield. Um, I currently reside in Homewood, though. Uh, I'm trying to think of what I could say without rambling too much. Um, I have seven brothers and one sister. Um, I grew up in the hood my whole life. <laughs> I went to Pittsburgh Public Schools from K to six. Uh, and that is when my mother and father decided that Pittsburgh Public Schools was not an appropriate fit for me anymore. And so from seventh to 12th grade, I was homeschooled, which was unheard of in the 90s, mm-hmm. specifically in Garfield. Um, <laughs> from there, I went to CCAC for two years because I grew up in poverty and that was the most economically savvy decision for me to make. And I went on ahead and transferred into Chatham College, now Chatham University. Um, Short story shorter, I didn't start off in an educational path in terms of this being my goal. But after I read an article about the student achievement gap, the Black-White student achievement gap, I changed my major from biochemistry and mathematics to education and psychology. Um, I went on and graduated from Chatham College. I um, got certified to teach. And, you know, kind of the rest is history. (laughs) I've had a lot of different kind of educational experiences um, in the process that has brought me to this point. So I gotta, I gotta say this real quick because Ash Ash has a a personal bias to school board. I have a personal bias to Grace because (laughs) I've known Grace for close to a decade now. Yeah, no, it's it's over a decade now. Yeah, so over a decade and we Mm -hmm. used to work at Community Empowerment Association together in Homewood, Indeed. working with all the babies in the East End. Indeed. And we used to develop programming and hold events and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. 
So I want to say this is that knowing you from then till now, there's no better person to be representing this school board district than you. This district, you, it's ideal, it's perfect. You know what I'm saying? Like, thank you. My yes, my excitement when I found out that you were running <laughs> was like it, it was, was so I was just pure joy. Like I was just yeah. so happy and so excited, you know. So it's it's like a perfect fit. There's not a lot of times where the ideal candidate runs at the ideal ideal time for the ideal position. And I feel like this is that moment for you in District One. You know what thank I mean? You. So yes, I feel like it was super important that we made sure that this episode happened on Black political millennials, and that we got it out in enough time so that people can hear because school board is super important, yes, especially it is. in our district. It is. You yes, know what it I mean? is. So as, as we jump into the school districts, can you talk about what is PPS school district and, and what do they do? So the school board um, is composed of nine districts. Um, each person is an elected official. Uh, that should be elected from the people that are within their district. So it, it, it's like a conglomerate of neighborhoods that make up your district and your ward. Um, so that's one part of how that process works. The second part is the school district manages the superintendent. So there is a hierarchy. The school district also hires the superintendent. They manage the district budget. Um, they make a lot of decisions on curriculum, on safety measures, on whether they're going to open or close schools, who gets what funding, what funding goes where, um, what programs are going to be allowed in the district, um, the transportation of the district, the lunches of the district. I mean, you name it, the whole, operations. the way, the operations, thank you, in which the district is run, the school board has a say, and they have to vote in majority rules. So if you think about it, as the school district is at the top, then you have the superintendent, you know, and then you have like your curriculum, all of your admin people, higher up admin people, your principals, your teachers, um, the students. And then I hate to say it, students, parents. Yeah, it really shouldn't be like that. But that's yeah. how it is. I'd like to I would like to throw in there a, a, a little bit of a. Um, I don't know what word I want to use, but I, I ideally would like us to get to a part of the hierarchy where we let the community know that they ultimately are at the top if they start so really use it. Now you're stepping into my actual platform and why I decided <laughs> to run. <laughs> so let's, let's go right into that, why you decided I mean, if, to run, because this is what I love about why you're running. So please share with the people. So initially, I wanted to run for school board um, several years ago, and it just wasn't the right time. And as Martel said, it, it kind of is like everything is kind of aligning itself. Um, but one of the major reasons I wanted to run is, one, I got tired of having conversations with friends and family about how dissatisfied I was. You know, I am a teacher um, with the things that I was seeing. Um, two, the lack of community engagement. And when you talk to members in the community, how much we don't know. Um, how much our voices actually mean and what would it mean potentially to empower and mobilize the community. We would see change. If you think about it, parents got tired of just, let's take COVID, for example. They said they weren't opening up the schools because of COVID. After a while, parents said, no, that's enough. Now they need to go to school. You're going to open up the schools. What happened? Schools opened. They opened up the schools. They don't even have enough bus drivers and they opened up the schools. 
Mm-hmm. So if we can take that as one example, you know, of how we can utilize our voice, you know, and really come together as one body, one sound for one mission, which would be our children and the betterment of their academic achievement and emotional, academic achievement and emotional supports, mm-hmm. how much better off would we be? You know, and I feel like specifically the Black community is particularly disenfranchised in all processes, mm-hmm. but especially since we're talking about school board with the school board. Mm-hmm. No question. One hundred percent, and I think you know, uh, in particular, this local election year, after we've come off of a presidential election year last year, mm-hmm. um, the the momentum that's behind folks this year—it's more than I've personally seen in my, you know, what I've been voting since I was eighteen, I guess. Me too. So, <laughs> You know, I give or take about, look, see, let me check my public education skills because math is not my strong point. But um, the, the, the amount of engagement that I'm seeing this year in, in our local election is encouraging because oftentimes mm-hmm. this is the year when people disengage. It's like, okay, I'm mm-hmm. for president, I'm done. And it's like, actually, that next year after you vote for president is even more important. And so- right the the momentum that I'm seeing this year is encouraging. It's tiring, but it's encouraging. Um, and on to the point of community engagement and, and, and tapping into the families, can you talk a little bit about some ideas you have on what that could look like and how can a school board director um, lead that, um, that thought, that, that idea? Well, my idea is not really complicated at all. (laughs) Um, I think that we should not overcomplicate the fact that we need to actually be in the communities and we need to listen to the community members. So if that means that I need to go into a local church, if that means that I need to go into some sort of grassroots organization, if that means that, you know, whatever that means, Operation Better Block, if I got to go walk up on the corner of North Conway and Frankstown, where everybody is hanging out and be like, hey, my name is Grace Higginbotham. I'm running for school board, which I've done. Hey, my name is Grace Higginbotham. I'm running for school board. You know, do you know what that means? You know, or do you know how this affects you? Do you have children in the district? Do you pay taxes to the district? Like, what's your, and I need to find out what's your buy-in yep. first before I approach you. And then before I start saying anything, like, what do you feel like needs to change as a parent or as a student in the district? What do you feel like needs to change? What do you really like about going to school? What do you really hate? You know, as a parent, when you come into the schools or when you come into the schools or would you come into the schools, um, what does that look like? Uh, How does that make you feel? You know, and I think one of the biggest things when you come into a school and the secretary is rude to you, that's a turn off. You know, not to say that all school secretaries are rude. But there's a lot of them that are rude. Though I know you're trying to give give grace, grace. But <laughs> I, I, I used to work in schools, too, yo, too. and I like, had to like, deal with some super mean people, man, like off the rip. I'm just trying to check on some kids that I work with. I'm trying to check on my clients or I got a meeting here. Absolutely. And, yo, the energy just be off, man. So it ain't everybody. Because right. there's definitely some super nice people that I've that absolutely I've worked with, but but what? How can too. we get you to engage? And then I need to find out, like Swiss cheese, where are the holes at? Yeah. How can we plug those holes? How can I bridge? Like one of the, the third parts of my platform is networking and rela- strategic relationship building. The district has broken the trust of our community. 
for a litany of different reasons. How can I repair that? Like mm-hmm. me, mm-hmm. you know, how can I go in and repair that? If I have to sit down with people and like, okay, well, you all haven't done X, Y, Z, A, B, C. Now I got to sift through that. Now I have to make amends. I have to atone for what has not been done. That's not an easy thing to do. But I think if you're consistent and you do what you say you're going to do, when you say you're going to do it, if at all possible, people will trust you. And if for some reason you can't do that, you're transparent with here we are in the process, you know, instead of me trying to schmooze you, if you will, mm-hmm. I think that people will, will listen. They'll come around. Mm-hmm. It takes time. Come around. Yeah, it takes time. And you, you mentioned, you know, going down to Frankstown and North Homewood. Can you, mm-hmm. can you tell us a little bit about what kind of feedback you're getting from the community when you are going out and knocking on doors and talking to folks? Like what's the feedback that you're hearing? So um, I would say that when we look at District 1, let me be very clear on communities. Um, Different communities have different flavors. For example, I live in Homewood. And um, how I engage with my community members versus Northern Point Breeze is a little bit different. Um, Mm -hmm. I I can't go on to people's porches at 10 o'clock in the morning in Homewood and they don't know I'm coming. I ain't related and they didn't ask me to be there. (laughs) okay so (laughs) that's not what you want to do um but when I knock on about 11 12 1 that's like my sweet spot um I might get people to open the door I might not if I can get them to open the door I can get them to talk you know so I'm not coming with like this big grandiose political platform I'm talking to them as another community member and I'm talking to them and trying to meet them where they are and then see where they're at in that process some people say I don't know I want to be involved I just really don't know how Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, I didn't have a good experience in school and my kids are going to school. I don't want to go back up to that school. They yep. talk down to me, yep. you know, so that's immediately telling me everything I need to know, you know, about what kind of experience they're having and why they're disengaging. And some people just don't want to be bothered. And then some people are like, well, I go up to the school. I'm at my granddaughter's school or my daughter's school all the time. So, right. you know, you get a combination of, of experiences. And I'm like, well, okay, well, if you're at your granddaughter's school, prior to COVID, um, what's that experience been like for you? Are the teachers receptive to you? Do they return? And I know teachers are busy, but you know, like when you interface with the principal, what what is that experience like for you? Do you feel heard? Do you feel respected? If you ask for a meeting, like what's the turnaround time for that kind of, all of these mm-hmm. things matter. Right. You know, all of these things matter. If you want people to engage, it's like customer service. If you get good customer service somewhere, you're going to go back. No question. If they, you know, if they give you and they make you feel valued and hurt, nine times out of 10, you're going to go back. It's like going to a doctor and everything you said, like, uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. <laughs> you know, you're going, yeah. I ain't going. They have poor bedside manner. Yeah. I'm still you trying know? to find a new doctor now because I don't like the way my doctor be answering my questions, yo. So yeah. I feel what you're saying. Like, but so we're, we're talking about north homewood and frankstown and we mentioned mm-hmm. north point breeze so can we mm-hmm. can we talk about the district district one sure what, what that encompasses and the schools mm-hmm. and the neighborhoods that are included in district one okay so i'm going to go with schools first um we have crescent early childhood learning center we have the student achievement center we have westinghouse we have Faison, k-5 lincoln k-5 dilworth pre-k-5 liberty k-5 starrett six to eight, Obama, six to 12. And I also have the Montessori school. And then for communities, I have 
East Hills, Homewood, Lincoln, Larmer, Belmar Gardens, Regent Square, um, parts of Shady Side, parts of Point Breeze, and I believe I also have friendship. And I just want to make sure I'm not missing anything. I think that's everything. You got a little bit of Wilkesburg in there. We just can't vote for you. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I'm also responsible for Wilkinsburg. <laughs> so you got the East Side. So you the Pretty East much. Side representative mm-hmm. for the school yes. district, basically. Yes, you got I am. the whole East Side for the most part. Yes, I, I do. I That's do. It's, it's one of the largest ones. It, it it's is. a lot yeah. of schools. Um, it is. And I don't think I even realized how how many of the schools within uh, District 1 it encompassed, you know, because there's a non mm-hmm. you know, those, you know, in Wilkinsburg, we're a borough-wide district. You, the school board is just, you know, if you live in Wilkinsburg, doesn't matter. You can be on school board. Right. Um, so that is, that brings a whole nother dynamic to also, like you were saying earlier, the way you're engaging um, mm-hmm. with that, with your community, because you know, the issues that families may be experiencing at Westinghouse aren't going to look like what families at SATEC, you know, right. are experiencing. Right. And, and um, you know, understanding just disparities like that, um, mm-hmm. what, I don't even know if there's like a, a, a an easy way to even pose this question, but how, what what are your thoughts on, you know, I'm going to speak it into existence, you being elected and beginning to um, mend and atone what what the community is used to? How do you how do you see that being, um, for lack of words, your your first 100 days? You know, what does that look like for you? Oof, um my first 100 days, I actually have never had it framed quite that way. So give me a second to process what you asked me. Um, my first 100 days, I would say, would be to implement my platform. Um, if I said I'm doing my top three priorities, it's time to start with the top three priorities, which is district curriculum, which is based on data proven practices, um, a teacher panel, platform for teachers and educators to come and make educated or give their professional opinions on the curriculum Mm -hmm. and give us real life boots on the ground feedback in real time Um, and then repairing those relationships those are the first my top three things that I said I was going to focus on and there's a ton of things that needed to be focused on let me say that but also in terms of community engagement is to go inside of the community and really recruit parents you know and I don't need everybody and everybody is not meant for this work. And I get that too, but I just need a few somebodies. So if I can recruit 10 parents to recruit one parent, to recruit one parent, to recruit one parent, that's 50 people that I now have, you know, that can go into the community and mobilize other community members. So I'm just going to say this, if I, if when, Lord willing, I get elected, um, if, okay, when When. I get elected, if I don't have the support of the community, I can go in there all day and vote things down. I'm still outnumbered. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's be real here. Like yeah. this, this is the reality of it. Yeah. I'm one person, right? So one person, I can be a change agent, but I need the community to really come in and push for change. I am a servant to the community, right? But I also, everybody needs to play their position. So many hands, I'm not a miracle worker either. I would like to think so, but <laughs> I'm not a miracle worker either. You know, so I feel like 
you know, that is the top things we have to get people to engage and, and advocate for themselves, but also I have to support them in getting them to do what, what is needed, if that makes sense. Like for a student, I can't tell a student, this is the expectation of your academic achievement. You're going to get such and such score on a test and not give them all the supports to be successful. You know, so if I want the community to engage, I need to be in the community. You know, if I want the community to feel comfortable, I have to be that buffer and that liaison between the district and the community, which also is not always a great thing to be because sometimes you could get beat up on both sides. But Mm -hmm. I need to mend that. I need to listen. You know, I need to bring the concerns back and I really need to push the agenda of the community. They elected me. I work for them. And not lose that. Yes, yeah, servant leadership, people. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's so, and it's not about me. Yeah, a lot it's of really not. <laughs> it's not about me. That. Yeah. And I think especially when we talk about just being in any elected um role, unfortunately, that can also at times bring about egos and bring about things that aren't really important to the reason why you are um in, in these roles. And so it's so important, I think right now for, for us to keep pushing back against that narrative because you know, oh, it's a politician or, oh, you know, they're just gonna do whatever. And it's like, that's not necessarily the case. It just really takes um, collaboration between the community and, um, an elected official. I like to use the word co-governing because as someone who's elected by the people, you are pushing, you know, what the community wants. And so that requires intentional um, interactions, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it is showing up, like you said, to Operation Better Block or Homewood Children's Village or, mm-hmm. you know, attending the events when we get, I guess, post COVID because we are still in a pandemic, but you know, showing up at the schools and when there's activities happening for our young people, um, it's important to see those who are making the decisions to also uh, show that they're tapping in to what's currently happening. Um, Mm -hmm. Not just showing up to a school board meeting. I mean, you have to be relatable. I don't want to be so, well, a couple of things you touched on, I just want to yeah. speak to. Um, you said being a politician, when I ran for school board, initially, my thoughts were, I'm running for school board to make a difference. I'm running for school board to invoke change. I'm running for school board for those who can't advocate for themselves. I'm running for school board um, for the babies, you know, because at the end of the day, this is what it's about. It's not about me. I'm running for school board because I keep reading articles that our students can't read. Mm-hmm. I, they can't do math. Um, you know, they're in fifth grade and they're reading at a second, first grade level, you know, and I don't know if anybody knows this. Especially here's a little in our tidbit. district too, Grace. Exactly. Especially in our district. When you exactly. look at the scores for the schools that do the worst, they're in our district. Yes, they're they in are. District one. Yep. Right. And, and we're looking at primarily black schools. Yep. Right. We're looking at primarily black schools and a lot of neighborhood schools. And I don't want to go down the drain of neighborhood versus magnet and the inequities within the district themselves itself with that. I feel like that's mm-hmm. a whole nother podcast. Sure. But right. um, that's why I'm running. You know, this is that's my why. Um, and that's a hill I'm willing to die on. 
you know, so it's not about people knowing. I mean, it, obviously, I say all of that to say that I didn't want to become a politician. I didn't know that was part of the role. <laughs> I'm like, me, a politician? I don't know. I'm still settling into that idea. But, you know, it's, it's not about me. It's about my next door neighbor and his two children who go to Westinghouse. Yeah. You know, it's about the kids that ride their bike on my on Kedron every day. Yeah. You know, that I see playing basketball or football or in the school, Belmar school field. Um, playing basketball or whatever on a shopping cart sometimes they ain't got no business you know doing things that kids do you know yeah. what is their school experiences like are they adequately prepared for life because if you can't read k-2 to you're learning to read you're learning to read third grade and up you read to learn so if you're in the fifth grade sixth grade seventh grade eighth grade and you're reading on a third grade level that means that you are not able to read to learn let alone read on your grade level. Mm-hmm. It, it, to me, and I, a lot of people aren't an educator, that's terrifying. The newspaper is written on a fourth grade level. Mm-hmm. That's what it's written on. So if you can't read the newspaper and you're in the 10th grade, eighth grade, sixth grade, that's incredibly problematic. If you can't decode words in fourth grade, fifth grade, and you don't have the basic phonics, not phonemic awareness, but phonetic foundation that's incredibly like i'm like sitting there like, oh my gosh and we're mm-hmm. passing these kids along so we're, we're doing ask, them an extreme disservice it's no doubt so let me ask you this so we're talking about we're starting to get an education okay i'm um, sorry i jumped ahead sorry no 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 no, no. <laughs> it, it's cool it's cool because it's a flow you know what i'm saying you gotta respect the flow like that's what they you know what i mean that's yoga stuff so we just going with the flow but I want you to, um, there's a lot of different stuff that we're talking about that aren't going right in schools, right? So, mm-hmm. um, and you talked about the why, but I want to ask about like the what now. So okay. um, what first, do what do you want to change, you know, or what can you change? What are you able to change um, as far as school board goes and schools? You know, what are some things that you want to change? So um, I'm, I want to put this disclaimer out there as a school board member, as I said before, majority rules. There are plenty of things I want to change, but if I can't get my other counterparts or they don't value what I think needs to change, then I can't change anything, which is why the community engagement piece is so important. Um, so I, I want to put that out there uh, because I don't want to tell people things. need five votes. Yes, you need five votes to to get it done. So I don't want to make promises to people that I cannot necessarily deliver um, on, you know, not to say that I wouldn't fight for it. Absolutely. But you need five votes to pass things through. That's why this school board election race, the primary is so important. Um, So that's that part. But back to the what. I would like to create an educational ecosystem here, which is just a $50 word of saying a community. The school district operates a lot of separate entities. So we have the school board, which is separate from the superintendent, which is separate from the administration, which is separate from the teachers, students, and community. I would like to have one band and one sound. We have to be unified in our messaging. We have to be unified in how we teach our instruction. We have to be unified in how we engage with the community. There has to be, and I'm not saying that Pittsburgh public doesn't have these things written down. I'm sure they do, but the translation of what that actually looks like 
versus what you're reading on their website, it doesn't translate. So that's one part. Um, the second part is community schools. Um, I know that's a hot button issue, but we need to improve community schools. I think they're absolutely positively necessary. Um, I think that if you go to a community school, you should not feel like you're at a disadvantage because you don't attend a magnet. Mm -hmm. You know, they should have all of the same things. They should have all the same uh, distinguished teachers. You know, you should be able to have same access to CAS, PSP, advanced courses. You should have access to languages. You should have the same um, nutritional lunches. Um, you know, like all of the things you should have in a community school. There really shouldn't be a difference between a community school and a magnet, but we know that there are inequities in that. But also, as I said, I'm going to go back to my platform. You know, it's still the what of a curriculum that is rooted in the data of what our students need. Why don't we have that? The fact that we need a teacher advisory panel that's going to give us feedback in real time. You know, at least I would like to put in the what four times a year, once a quarter. You know, why can't we have teach one teacher elected out of all district one teachers, two, three, four, all the way to nine. And then we have nine people come and they represent and speak for their school district. This is our concerns. This is what we're seeing. This is what we feel like needs to happen. Nine times out of 10, we get X, Y, or Z. So that we're not left to our own vices. Not everybody on the school board is an educator. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? So not to say that they don't know, but a lot of times you don't know what you don't know. I can't fix my car. I'm not a mechanic. That doesn't mean that I'm stupid. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's that. And then, you know, also the what is the what, the who, the why, the when, the where is the networking and strategic relationship building. I don't think that any of these things run different ways. They all run parallel and hopefully we can get them to run concurrently. So yeah, I yeah, and I appreciate that. Um I I had I I did a panel with school some school board directors um from different places across the US and one of the questions that we were asked was what would your ideal school board um look like like the types of people that you need because you made the point of like everyone doesn't come with an education background mm -hmm. um, and you know from my you know from my service of being on school board you know I'm not an educator I, if I gave you my strength it would be I'm a communicator and I think okay. that um the the point of the point that you make about the different um, skills that a school board director has. I feel like an education background is important. A financial background is important. Mm -hmm. um, a communications, public relations background is important. And then just like your mediators, you know, folks mm -hmm. who can just kind of play that, um, I don't want to say like middle ground, but just some people can't communicate things the way they need to be communicated so everyone can listen and understand. And so I think it's so important when we talk about what a school board is made up of that we take that into consideration. Um, so I with, would agree. Yeah. So with that, mm -hmm. um, how can you see that being a part of um, how you uh build out your advocacy with parents to kind of like show them that there's a space for all of us. Like 
everyone's role might not be to serve on school board. Right. Maybe their role is, I know this school board member got my back. So whenever it's time that we need to come and speak at the meeting, I'm gonna call A, B, and C so we can all make our public comments. So like, what, what do you see um, as a school board director coming in with a background in education, um, connecting with folks that, you know, whether it's pinpointing what you're missing on the school board and how you um, plan out like the future and like, okay, we got this now, what do we need? What do, just what does that look like for you as you assess um, the, the strengths of the school board? So you said a lot. I'm trying to make sure that <laughs> I'm wrapping I, I, it so, all together. Yeah, I'm sorry. Because ultimately what I'm trying to say is that you need different types of people on school board. Right, which I, I picked up on. Um, and then you're saying these skill sets, how do they translate to the public? Yeah. I make sure I make, okay. So I think that I'm not knocking anybody who doesn't have an education background. I'm just saying that it is necessary a lot of times, or at least you have, I think if you sit on school board long enough, you're around certain language long enough, you'll pick it up. Mm -hmm. um, but there is a, a strength to having a background in education, just like there's a strength to having a background in finance. Yep. You know, I understand finance, but you know, I'm not in finance, finance, you know, so everybody who all nine members, I would assume have their own strengths and assets. That's why I said one band, one sound, it's not all drums. Yep. You know, yep. <laughs> you have strings, that. you have horns. That you use that. <laughs> yeah, you have strings, you have horns. But when we all play, it makes a beautiful sound. It is a harmonious sound, yep. first and foremost. Um, but when it comes to translating to the community, the public, you know, I, I, I've done this for quite some time. Mm -hmm. um, I've worked in the community as a, as a community advocate. Martel would tell you that um, I have been a special education advocate for the county for for. I don't know, several years. And I taught teachers, you know, even in terms of volunteering at my church, all kinds of different things and dealing and interfacing with the public in different ways, as well as living in the community and interfacing with the community, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, what that means mm -hmm. in your day to day. Um, right. And I think that's also incredibly important. So, and just, I feel like the soft skills, you know, you have to have soft skills. So when you're listening to somebody, you have to listen to understand and not to respond. You know, and a lot of times as an educator, as an educator, I have learned to emotionally unplug. So if somebody is yelling at me because as a teacher that happens, um, I have to emotionally unplug. They're not talking to me personally. I have to sift through the issue. You know, what is it? And, and sometimes by the time a parent might get to me, they have talked beyond what they're, you know, they've reached their saturation point is what I'm saying. So now I have to diffuse them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have to diffuse them, let them know that I hear them and then try to rectify or reconcile the issue in the best ways that I can. Right. So, you know, and I feel like everybody in the community is not going to be, you know, drums or since we're sticking with the one band, one sound, but I have to figure out where they're comfortable interfacing and how much and to what magnitude and not disrespect their boundaries, but still, you know, their participation. Somebody might want to make phone calls. Other people might want to come to school board meetings. Some people just might want to submit questions, you know, and allowing people to grow and be in their comfort level, but, you know, still pressing them to participate. And all of that is participation and not to disrespect their efforts. Yep. Indeed. Yep. I, um, so one thing that you mentioned that I want to want us to highlight was experience that you had 
in special education. Mm-hmm. And I have not heard a lot of school board candidates talk about special education. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually had someone who's a committee person um, talk to me about the importance of candidates speaking about special education. So mm-hmm. you have experience in special education. Um, are you able to, is there anything in your platform or any ideas that you have that might be able to improve special education? So let me say that special education is a different kind of animal. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, I don't even know if I have a word for it, but you got to know your stuff. It can be, very, you know what, daunting. I think that that is a, a good word, um, specifically with my experience as an advocate working with parents and, and families um, in that process. It, it is a, a learning curve. Um, an IEP, which is nothing but an individualized, individualized education plan, is a legal running document. It is a legal document. A lot of people do not understand that. Um, a lot of parents have been disrespected in it because if you don't know your rights, you can be taken advantage of. Um, so in terms of back to the platform, that's what I mean by a, a curriculum that is based in data proven practices. Mm. A lot of the students in Pittsburgh public have IEPs, whether they are academic or emotional support, um, they have IEPs. Um, and, and not just IEPs, they are, we also have students that have gifted IEPs, which is called a GIEP. And then we also have students that have maybe not qualified for an IEP, but they have a 504 plan, which is just reasonable supports inside of the classroom setting. So I'll give you an example. Um, a student with a 504 plan might get extended time on tests and homework. They might be able to take their test instead of, you know, they have test anxiety. They don't want to take the test with everybody else. They're able to take the test outside. Um, or in another classroom by themselves, stuff like that. That's really important. You know what I mean? Um, And I'm glad you brought up about IEPs um, and also the different kinds of IEPs, because I feel Mm -hmm. like there's, there's been a stigma attached to a student having an IEP, you know, Mm -hmm. and I feel like the stigma travels beyond the schools. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I feel like, Sometimes parents may feel a way about their students having an IEP, of course. you know, and then even in out of school time supports like, oh, this kid has an IEP, you know, and, and there might be a different approach to, to supports that are provided. So I'm, I'm very glad that you brought up um, IEPs. And like I said, I haven't heard a lot of candidates and I've been paying attention to school board candidates, but I have not heard um a lot talk about special education IEPs. And another thing is truancy. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, I know that I did truancy prevention when we was back at CEA. Yes, you did. That was was a whole different experience um, in Mm -hmm. itself, just being in those schools in that capacity. But um, Mm -hmm. I would really love for you to touch on truancy and um, prevention and reduction and how we can kind of change truancy because it's impacting families and it's impacting them financially as well. So a couple of things on truancy. Truancy just means the students are not and they're missing a substantial amount of school. And that could be for various reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, It could be they're just not they're just not coming. (laughs) Like, let's start with the what people think. Yeah, they're just Mm -hmm. not showing up to school. Right. Right. They're not coming to school consistently. 
We don't know why we're calling, the numbers are changing, all of this different type of things. It also could be financial. You know, if you look in Pittsburgh public, there's an extreme amount of homelessness, specifically amongst high school students. You know, so that also could be a reason why a child is truant. And then if you're gonna say, if the child is truant because of homelessness or there's financial burden or hardships, now that means that the family is in financial burden or hardship. Mm -hmm. And we have to consider the instability in that way financially to contribute to truancy. With that being, and I'm sure there's other reasons as to why. With that being said though, I'm just gonna leave it there. But truancy impacts families a lot of our families here are led by single moms who, if we looked at the report Pitt put out um, in terms of the most livable city, they rebutted that with letting us know that a family of four in the city of Pittsburgh um, makes about $22,000 gross or less a year. That can contribute to truancy in and of itself, but I'm not going to touch that. <laughs> okay. I'm not going to touch that, but that's just to give people perspective. So if they're frontline workers and they're working and now, you know, the kid ain't their, their student or the students or their children are coming to school for whatever the reason are, and they have to take off of work, that's less money. If they have to pay a penalty, that's more money. You know, it's less money going in their pocket and more money going out that they already don't have. Um, in terms of prevention, I think that, you know, the therapeutic supports, uh, mental health professionals, um, actually, you know, I'm not above, I mean, but this also goes to relationship building. You know, what is going on? Is this really a truant issue or is this something that we as the school, the social worker, the school psychologist can reach out and get them resources to assist them? Is that what the issue is first? You know, um, is this student having mental health crisis? Are they bullied? You know, I'm just tell a personal story in fourth grade. I was bullied by this boy so bad that I used to fake sick for days, mm. you know, and, and they thought that I was true. it wasn't that I was being bullied, you know, mm. like there's so many different things. And I think there's not a one size fits all approach to, to, a pro- there's not a one size fits all approach to this. I think that we're going to have to take it on a case by case basis, I think to be incredibly fair. Mm-hmm. So that would be my approach to that. We have to take all things into consideration. Look at your data, look at the statistics, look at your students, and then make some decisions, mm-hmm. you know, and treat Thank people you. like people. Mm-hmm. Treat you. people Thank like people. I think, I think that's like just such an important, you know, piece to You're bring up because I, pre-pandemic, I had um, spent some time at Westinghouse and mm-hmm. I can't lie. If I was a student that had to go to that school, I probably would skip myself. They do. Yep. They, <laughs> they do. let the weather get nice. They're walking yep. all around. They do They're walking skip. all around. And <laughs> they skip. It is something as simple as when we talk about how do we how do we begin to talk about prevention? Welcome the kids mm-hmm. into the school in a way that makes them feel welcome. You know, we can mm-hmm. talk about. We can talk about the school police. We can talk about the criminalization of um, our kids. We mm-hmm. can talk about, um, sometimes I will walk into the school and be like, did they clean? As simple as coming to school and it's not clean. Mm-hmm. Who wants to come to school to that? I would agree. You know, the care you put into the school goes to show the care you put into the children. And unfortunately, what we're seeing happen in a lot of schools is the complete opposite. 
Um, I've spent time at both Westinghouse and at UPrep and um, the kids are amazing. I can't speak on everything else, you know? And okay. so when, when we talk about why our kids are not coming to school, I think it's important for us as the adults to really um, recognize the atmosphere that's been created for our young people when they go into the schools. And um, it ain't always just because they don't wanna go to school. The school's not welcoming them to come in either. And we gotta talk about it. We gotta own it, you know? I, one of my favorite things that I, I've been saying since I was working at, when I started working at A-Post, adults suck in a lot of these situations because we create these problems Mm -hmm. that the children aren't even thinking of. Um, and even uh, as a Wilkinsburg resident and the partnerships that we have with Pittsburgh Public Schools and our home school being Westinghouse, before that even happened, the way a lot of adults in, that, in, this, in this space created a narrative of um, the kids are going to beef and the kids didn't. You know, mm -hmm. it's like we can't keep putting our adult problems onto our kids and mm -hmm. um it, it's going to take more candidates like you to come into the space to be able to stand in that you know we got I, I i agree with you i i also would i would add this um you said a lot. And I feel like if we really started to unpack everything that you said, we would be here much, much longer. Yeah. But I would say this. Um, adults matter. One of the things as an educator I learned very quickly is that I never yelled at my kids. Mm -hmm. I would project my voice, but I would never yell at them. Mm -hmm. And the reason why is because some of them, that's all they hear. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when appropriate, because it's not always appropriate to touch your children, meaning hug them. I had younger kids, so I could hug them. And I worked very hard to, even if I felt bad, to greet them with a smile because that might be the only smile they get. Mm -hmm. It might be the only hug they get is from me. And so when we translate that into Westinghouse, um, you really, really, really have to love them. Like you, you do, like you really, really do. I feel like it's in you're not capable to really touch these kids and build that bond of trust without them without loving them and kids know when you're yes, not being do. honest yes, they, do. <laughs> they know when you're not being honest so just to speak to adults and I'm sure that there are tons of great educators in Westinghouse yes. you know and tons of great people in Westinghouse that make that school I think Westinghouse in a lot of ways gets a bad rap yes. you know what I mean I'm not saying it that it's all good I'm not saying that it's all good. I'm not, but mm -hmm. there's plenty of great teachers in there who are doing great work, there you know, who don't get the credit because of the stigma of Westinghouse and the community in which it's in, yeah. exactly. you know? So I want to speak to that too. Mm -hmm. um, but also I'm going to flip the coin a little bit to say that we need to have higher expectations of our students. Mm -hmm. I think if you treat students like they're dumb, they're going to perform like that too. Right. So at the end of the day, even if students are showing undesirable behavior, which I feel like there should absolutely 1000% be accountability, we still have to empower them as well, mm -hmm. no matter what. And, and, you know, I've taught, I've taught some difficult 
situations, <laughs> been in some very difficult situations, but you know, my expectations of the students didn't change. My expectations of the parents didn't change. Mm -hmm. And trust me, I wasn't always for the greater part of my time. I wasn't the kid's favorite teacher. You know, you can't pull one over on me. When I said, I want my work, I want my work. Mm -hmm. You know, this is the expectation. I'm going to help you, but I'm also going to hold you accountable. And I think that there is like an iron sharpening iron experience that needs to happen between or, or is happening between teachers and students. And that's not always a pleasant process. You know, I think that we have to, in my opinion, and this is controversial, we need to kind of get away from um, kids be like, I don't like that teacher, unless they have something legit reason why they don't like them. If it's holding you accountable, yeah. you know, or you got to do your work. I'm not interested yeah. in all that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this is a part of the process. They have to grow and mature too. Yeah. You know, sure. so, but see, but I'm still love that, you, even if you don't like me. Yes. But even as you speak <laughs> that and you said in that way, the love is in your voice, you know? And so when that's exactly what our young people need, we have to quit. Cause even on an elementary school space on, on, on the experiences that I've had in Wilkinsburg, you know, it's, it's, it's very problematic when you have educators that don't think their students are capable of doing and being better. And so it does take away that, um, that level of a high standard that you hold for your kids because you know they can do it. It's not that you hold this high standard because they can never reach it. You hold that high standard because you know that I'm gonna encourage you and I'm gonna push you to reach this goal, if not exceed it. And um, it, takes, it takes the adult that has that care. It's why I, use, I say the phrase adults suck not to offend adults, but to let adults know that oftentimes it's on us. Oh when, yeah. When the when the children aren't performing and and doing what we know they're capable of. And Absolutely. I, you know, to to your point about some educators at Westinghouse, I know some great educators at Westinghouse. I know great social workers at Westinghouse, you know, but they're one in few. You know? I'm not going to argue that point with you at all. So, <laughs> but yeah, so I'm not going to do that at all. Right. So, I, but I, I say that to say that we can't be afraid to have these conversations because no. you know people want to appease others, and we we pass that. Yeah, we don't have, actually. To be honest with you, we're not just past. We don't have time. You know, like if we're looking at the state of our district, if we're looking at the condition of our students, we do not have time. Um, my grandfather used to say, I don't have time to make pleasantries. Yeah. You know, I, don't, I mean, and I don't mean that to be insulting. Yep. I don't, you know, because I'm a very congenial person. But when we look at these babies, I don't have time. And I just want to speak to what you said about some of the barriers. You know, I had to put a mini free fridge in my classroom because the barrier was the students having a hard time learning. Well, let me see. Let me see what's happening. Oh, they're hungry. The last time they ate was lunch on Friday. They ain't ate since then. They're coming in, you know, and eating breakfast Monday morning. That's the last solid meal they had. You know, like, oh, they need their hair done. They need clothes. They haven't bathed. Like, there's so many things our students, not just younger, but high school students are doing with real stuff. Yes, and they are. And you have to think adult their frontal cortex, right? Their, their little frontal cortex, adults can't manage it well. Yeah. You know, and you're asking a kid to come in and manage it well. And I'm not saying put up with disrespect. I ain't saying that. 
you know, I'm not saying put up with anything, but sometimes you have to peel back the layers. You have to have those soft skills. You have to know when to hit the gas and when to hit the brake, Mm -hmm. you know, like when I'm going to push this kid and when I'm going to back off, you know, but that also comes with relationship building and knowing your kids. I knew my students so well, if I wasn't in the room, I could tell who was giggling. They were my (laughs) babies. You understand? And until you take that, these are my babies. I am responsible for them. If that means I don't got to have lunch, you're going to eat lunch with me because you're going to learn how to read. We're going to get this done. You, you understand what I'm saying? Like, and there's a plenty of teachers in Pittsburgh public and administrators who have that, yeah. um, who have that, you know, we just have to, it can't just be sparse. Mm-hmm. You know, we have mm-hmm. to have a, a school board that feels that way. Yeah. We have to have a school board that is that passionate yeah. about students' achievement. Yeah. That's when yeah. we'll see change. That's when we'll see change. But until then, we'll be having the same conversations 25 years from now. Pittsburgh, vote for Grace. I want to I want to have I have one more question before we get to our lightning round at the end, okay. um, which I feel like is really important that we touch on. Um, so we talk about our experience, you know, our children's experiences and um, we talk about them dealing with adult things and people not knowing. Um, but a major issue that's happening, not just in Pittsburgh, but all over the country is the criminalization of black children, but primarily black girls in school. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at the suspension rates, the expulsion rates for black girls, you look at the arrest rates, um, you look at all these things, you know, black girls are, are the top of the statistics. Um, mm-hmm. Now, you know, you can't promise to change this overnight, but I, I really want to allow you some time to, to, to talk about this or touch on this, because I know you've worked with some of these black girls in these schools that have had these experiences for years. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, as, as we kind of come to a, a closer, I, I really want to kind of spend some time on that. So um, please, you know, share, share with our listeners, your, your views and your feelings about that. So one, I am not in agreement ever, ever, ever with the over-criminalization of Black children and in specific, since we're talking about Black girls, Black girls at all. I definitely think that Black girls are misread, misunderstood, and judged harshly often. Um, We have to look at the teaching staff. And and since we're talking about school board and Pittsburgh public, it's only 13% Black, okay? The rest is like 2% other and the rest are white. That's incredibly problematic. But I also think a lot of our students don't get enough therapeutic support. And I'm not talking about um, social worker because a social worker inside of Pittsburgh Public Schools is more like a resource officer, but actual therapeutic supports where they can get assistance. Um, I'm not going to get too much into what kind of assistance, but they can get some things to help them. And I think relationship building, like I said, I just said it's huge. I worked with a lot of the girls who got put out of Pittsburgh public, <laughs> expelled or, or you know, permanent suspensions coming from juvenile uh, court. And one of the biggest things was just relationship building. It comes back to the piece of these kids are dealing with real life issues. These kids might have undiagnosed mental health issues. Um, you know, they can't deescalate. They can't self-regulate. Um, all of the above. And how do we interface with them? We have to interface with them with love. I don't think, you know, it's almost like some kids, if they're seen as being unruly, that automatically means that they're being suspended, right? But all they need to do is maybe talk to somebody and, and be redirected in a different kind of a way. I think that the, the stakes for Black girls in schools are incredibly high. 
you know, so if you don't do what I say or we get into, and sometimes it's a power struggle, you know, as a teacher, you have to pick your battles, you know, like everything, I don't have to give attention to everything. Mm -hmm. I really don't, you know, um, but that part, (laughs) that part. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, and that just speaks to suspensions and expulsions and and also how the system is set up in the first place. Mm -hmm. I think we have to, I can say that all day, but the system is functioning the way it's supposed to. And I think not a lot of people want to talk about the white supremacy and institutionalized racism that goes on in our schools. So if we think about it, and I'm going to say something also controversial, the system is working exactly the way it's supposed to because it wasn't designed to educate us in the first place. So with that being said, um, we're going to have to really look at the policies and procedures in the district and how things are done. And I think the district has a tendency to lean to the extreme. You know, we need to meet somewhere in the middle. Um, And if that means you know, the girls, instead of uh, in school suspension, they have yoga classes, meditation classes. They're doing this in other cities and they're seeing that it works. Why aren't we doing these things? Why don't we try these things out? You know, at the end of the day, we need to not only educate these children are missing valuable education time, but they also need some life skills, how to self-regulate. You can't walk around life like this your whole life. You know, so how are we really assisting them beyond the academic? We're not, we're unfortunately failing them. But I definitely think the therapeutic support, the how we need to repolit, we had to do the policies um, and fix that for sure. Um, because the way that it's working is the way it was created to. So as a district, we have to also look at that and take that into consideration and make changes. I actually have a uh, know somebody who was a school police officer for almost 20 years. And one of the things they said is they're not trained in mental health or mental health outliers. So when they are called, for whatever reason they are called, they have to, they're only approaching it one way. How is that beneficial to the student? If they need to be de-escalated, how do you de-escalate a student who's already beyond themselves and you don't have that skill set? And why aren't they being trained to do that? Not to say that I agree with school police coming in and doing what a security guard should do or a therapist should do, but this is the situation that we're in. So until we change all of that, I feel like then you'll see suspension rates of black girls go down. And to, I, I just, I think it's really not common. It's common sense, but it's not common sense. While we don't have their true therapeutic supports in the classroom, specifically in high crime areas where they see trauma. And I'm, since we've been talking about Westinghouse, Westinghouse High School, yeah. right before the pandemic, somebody was shot to death in broad daylight and they had to lock the school down. You know, things like that. Yeah. It affects the students, it affects everyone. So not to get off point, um, but therapeutic no, support and, and, mental, and mental health and the mm-hmm. fact that a lot of Black people have undiagnosed mental health. And I'm not making excuses for people's behavior, but we have to look it at is. it for what it is. Yeah, We have to look at it for what it is, mm-hmm. you know, and how do we address that as a school? Mm-hmm. How do we peel back the, the onion layer for that? That's incredibly important and love one of the kids in spite of <laughs> what they say to you, yeah. you know, or how they treat you. You have to break through that barrier. And sometimes you might not see your fruits of your labor for years. You know, Martel, you could, there's one particular student, I'm not gonna name her. I didn't think I made any impact on her. I seen her years later, she ran up and gave me the biggest hug. You're the only mm-hmm. person that would talk to me 
You're the only, because she thought, you know what I mean? It's all the thorns. I'm unlovable. Mm-hmm. I love you anyway. Mm-hmm. It's a choice. I know exactly who you're talking about too. I know exactly uh-huh. who you're talking about too. It's a choice. Yeah. You know, and it's a choice. That speaks to you. That speaks to who you are. And that's why you're the perfect candidate for <laughs> Pittsburgh Public Schools District 1. Yeah. Thank Grace you. But I, will, I will say this. I'll leave you with this. It's not about having all the answers. It's about asking the right questions. I don't mm-hmm. have all the answers. I really don't, but I can ask some questions though. Yeah. You know, it's the art of asking questions, you know, and I feel like once you get in there, I'll probably get a whole nother bird's eye view to what's really going on. And the strategy will have to change. You know, we'll have to adapt. You know, it has to get more strategic. Um, So that's that's what I'll leave it with. Yeah. I'm so glad you say that you said that because it's important. That's a very important, um, mindset to go into uh with school board because once you get in and as you see we're clearly claiming things over here but once you get in it's it there's nothing anyone can ever do to prepare themselves for once you actually get in there but being ready to um maneuver to change your mind if you need to change your mind those are all things that are okay to do um, Absolutely. As long as the students are the, it's the found, the bottom line is a decision I'm making going to impact the students for the better. Yes or no. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, some things are black and white. <laughs> <laughs> there is a lot of gray, but that is black and white. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. You know. Yes, ma'am. So. Well, before we let you get out of here, I know we okay. running over a little bit, but got some, Sorry, some questions for you. It's all good. Got this some questions like, okay, for you. So. This is going to be a lightning round. And okay. I'm going to just ask you some of your favorites and just whatever ah. just comes to your mind is going to be the first thing that you go with. Right. Okay. So I got like four or five and we just going to just, we just going to shoot it straight. All right. Okay. You ready? I'm ready. All right. Favorite Kenny Wood ride. Thunderbolt. Okay. Favorite living single character. Maxine Shaw. Ooh. Okay. Favorite R&B singer. Oh, you're killing me. Uh, old school or new school. Just whoever's your fave. You can have two. You can have an old and a new one. You can have an old and a new one. (laughs) Okay. All right. So look, uh, he's not really R&B, but I'm going to say James Brown. Okay. Um, And because I still listen to his music and new R&B. Oh, good Lord. Um, I'm going to go old 90s. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to have to hit you with the, uh, I'm going to have to throw it back. I'm going to hit you with the Donnell Jones. Ooh, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, <laughs> I like Donnell Jones. All right, favorite dessert? Dessert? Mm-hmm. Anything. <laughs> well, no, I don't really like, like, lemon meringue pie. It's a note for me, but I like cake, though. Okay. That's but cool. tiramisu, if we're going, <laughs> it's tiramisu. Oh, it's fancy. Okay, <laughs> fancy. And last one, favorite movie? Casino. Ooh, that's a good one. <laughs> that's a. I good have a couple okay. favorites, but I watch that every time it comes on. Oh man, that's Casino. Okay, that was mm-hmm. a good one. That was a good one. Well, um, Grace, can you let everybody know where they can find you, where they can support you, all things Grace for PPS District One. Yes, you can find me on Facebook at Grace for PPS. Um, I shortened my name. 
Um, you can find my website, which is graceforpps.com, www.graceforpps.com. Um, you can also email me, uh, graceforpps1 at gmail.com. Um, if you would like to give a donation, I do have an Act Blue account, which I will drop in the chat when we're done. And if you would like to volunteer, I also have a Google Doc. Please feel free to volunteer. You can pick what you feel comfortable with. If you want to have a yard sign, if you would like to canvas and door knock, if you would like to phone bank, um, whatever it is that you feel comfortable doing, I would love to have you on. And thank you all so much for having me. I actually really, really enjoyed. This is one of my favorites thus far. Yay. That's what's up. You likewise, like ditto right back at you. And I just love that it was a school board interview that really just got into the, the like, we got into it today and I'm, I'm here for this conversation and I can't wait for folks to listen and to really hear. Um, we can do a lot of good things on the school board level and you have really shown us how that's possible. So thank you. Everything. Together we can. Many yeah. hands make light, light work. Yes. So. <clears throat> thank you all so much for having me. You're hey, welcome. Thank you for joining us. And make sure you check us out, Black Political Millennials, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, bpmpodcast412 at gmail.com is our email. And we are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, and Anchor FM is our home. Once again, Black Political Millennials with Grace Higginbotham, PPS School Board District 1 candidate. We out here, y'all. Peace.